0: when and if if and when it's not not when if just when i put my letters on my twitter twitter account it will be T H D. I know which is well do you now have the to queen put some of the german i so. can put some german uh yeah some, there you go you know that'll just frighten people away it's like shaking sticks at a dog
1: Welcome to the Stand Firm Podcast. I'm Nick Lannon of Grace Anglican Church in Louisville, Kentucky, and I am here today with Matt Kennedy of the Anglican Church of the Good Shepherd in Binghamton, New York, and J.D. Koch of Christ Church Anglican in Mount Pleasant, South Carolina. How are you guys doing today?
0: Great. Yeah, I'm doing well,
1: Nick. Thanks. Matt, remind us, you're rabidly anti-New Year's resolutions, <laughs> right?
2: Absolutely. Don't take a single one. Is that Not because you,
1: you, you don't want to add any legal <laughs> legalistic burden i've read
2: have you read i've got to there the the Jonathan Edwards resolutions have you read those things no, no. there's like
1: i don't like read him 75...
2: you, don't have, you don't
0: have to read him anymore matt because well, yeah,
2: he right he's layover. been cancelled exactly right. so like can but... just <laughs>
0: stand and stand in righteous judgment over the largest american theologian's <laughs> brain that's ever existed
2: every know. every new year's usually i haven't seen this year yet but the, the list of his resolutions that he made for himself, for, you know, does the rounds. And they weren't like yearly resolutions. They were just resolutions that he made for his own life. And man, those things are insane. Like every time I have a, uh, I, I have a one thought sin or sin of action or whatever, I'm going to trace it back to its roots and kill it off. I mean, every single time it's like just, I mean, reading that resolution, list, you're like, man, I am a horrible person. Well, if you're going to make
1: to... resolutions, those are the kind to make, right? Like be serious Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah.
2: Yeah, it was, good. it was. It was. It was a really serious uh, sin conversation. I read that and I said, "I'm just no. I'm just not going to do the best for this."
1: <laughs> Fair enough. Well, listen, we're recording this Tuesday, January fourth, so I hope I can be forgiven for having not yet listened to this week's Preventing Grace podcast, which came out only yesterday. But on that show, Matt, I believe you and Anne talked about your Twitter flare-up with Kristen Dumais about. <laughs> <laughs> ideology versus history and we might talk a little bit about that today but you and Anne have certainly talked about that a lot uh, what we wanted to discuss today is one of the results of that Twitter conversation something that others said sort of looking into it from the outside which is the idea that pastors need to stay in their lane now, academic experts, the thinking goes, who have put in so many years of work into their subjects, cannot rightly be challenged by the hoi polloi like us, who only took Greek Speak long to enough, yourself. <laughs> who, who only took Greek long enough to learn what hoi polloi means. Now, <laughs> pastors are allegedly, mistakenly presumed to be experts in everything, from history to theology to mental health, which leads to, again, allegedly all sorts of problems in the church. Now, J.D., as you. Uh, Huffed just then. You actually do have a PhD, so you're an expert in something anyway. That's right. And we'll want to hear that story, the the good, the bad, and the <laughs> ugly. But Matt, why don't you start by catching us up on the conversation and then we can talk about what it means to be an expert, who is allowed to critique whom, and why, on some things at least, you might want to listen to your pastor.
2: Yeah right so so I saw a screenshot of of something of a question that Kristen May was answering from one of her readers I guess who's asking you know I have read your book I'm, I'm really impressed with your analysis of, of kind of power and the way the way structures work and I want to I want to be able to see these things and 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 be able to you know, identify them and, and work within them like like uh, like you do and so she says okay well here's what you need to do or, here's what I've done here's what I've read um, here are my influences, and she, you know, she lists Foucault, Michael Foucault, um, uh, Gramsci, Adorno, and Habermas. The last three of those are, are Marxists. Foucault was, I guess, he was a Marxist, but I mean, he wasn't a Marxist theorist. He was more of a, just a deconstructionist of sex, but, but um, and, a, and, a, and, and he's a, he's a, a rapist of little man. girls. So right.
0: just, a, just a really deeply troubled man who happened to be yeah, a prolific yeah. author with no filter. That's Yeah, it, right. That's, <laughs> right. That's, you, that's how you get to be famous in France in the sixties and seventies. So, yeah. um, right.
2: So yeah, these guys were yeah. If, if, and anybody who reads her work and who's familiar with the men, the people that she named, would not at all be surprised if those were her influences, because that was clearly the kind of the, the, the milieu from which she was writing. So I just, I retweeted it and I said, well, uh, you know, remember when we said that uh, John, John, Jesus and John Wayne was not a work of history, but a work of ideological analysis, masquerading as history? And that's so all I kind of asked that question and uh you uh, did not tag her either i didn't tag her so i'm i'm wondering if she's like secretly (laughs) watching what i'm writing i don't know (laughs) not so Um, secretly anymore yeah 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 (laughs) but she came in you know and i enjoyed my exchange with her she wasn't um she wasn't i mean she was uh, of course she was she did have a little bit of what we're talking about now which is well who are you (laughs) What, what 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 expertise do you have to even talk about this who invited this guy? Yeah, 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 yeah. Sorry. Where? where what, what's your PhD in? Um, she didn't actually ask that. <laughs> how's, but... your, how's
0: your Russian, by the way? That's
2: right. <laughs> but she was asking kind of questions to test me, you know, like so. So, so, how exactly has Gramsci influenced my my writing? And so I mentioned like Gramsci is the guy who's talking about hegemony. I mean, he's the one who expanded um, expanded Marx's analysis of of history uh, beyond just uh, economics and class theory to culture in general, power. Um, and so, I mean, anybody, who, there's like actually a straight line kind of between between uh, Gramsci and the kind of analysis that she's doing in, in, in Jesus and John Wayne, only she's doing it on a popular level and uh, more of a propagandist level than a, than a theorist level. But so I just mentioned that that. I, I had I've actually read these people I my I'm not a PhD I don't have that that but I but I did in my undergrad that was a history, I was I was a history major and I uh my concentration was on Marxism-Leninism and I've continued to read since then i it's been I'm fascinated by the whole I'm fascinated by Marxism actually so I've continued to read in those circles since that time um, uh, am, in an amateur way. I mean, have you, I don't read you the journals. Read, right?
0: I mean, can you actually read, Matt? I don't know. I don't. Know. Uh, yeah, yeah. Don't know. You're talking about audio books, aren't you? <laughs> that's right. I mean,
2: I, I don't read the journals. Like, I don't know the latest, like the most cutting edge, uh, Marxist, you know, political theory journal. Yeah, read, I'm not. I don't. Like, yeah, but but I have read some of the major works, and I'm I, I I'm fascinated by this stuff. So, um, but that's. <laughs> That her comment, her kind of hinting at this kind of credentialism, led to others doing that. Can I have your? What are your credentials? If one person asks. Point blank, and then Jamar Tisby, <laughs> uh,
0: comma, read, comma, PhD. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. He wants. He, walks, he a, wants us to call him that.
2: So he puts a PhD his, in his in his Twitter <laughs> on his Twitter identity. I give. It's <laughs>
0: just also sad. It's just the saddest thing to watch, and it's just it's. It's really been, I mean, it's revealed just such the the childishness of this, um, of the supposed kind of academic um, ab- objectivity that is purported, you know, that we've been talking about with with um, Jesus and John Wayne and Beth Allison Barr and, 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 a, and a number of other things, because the argument has never been that you could actually be unbiased. I mean, that was, you know, I mean, this has been... I mean, I'm reminded of Boltzmann's famous um, essay about is is theology without presuppositions possible? You know, and that was just a almost like a hypothetical, like of course not. You know, so the the argument is never to to argue that you are somehow unbiased. It's simply to kind of own and admit your your starting projections, and that's why Dumez, in particular, is. It's such an interesting case because she's just derivative. She's downstream of of these thinkers, and they were in fact downstream. You know, I mean, again, Marx was Marx was uh, is is kind of the the headwater of this, but he himself. Was a product of the kind of post Enlightenment de Christianization of the West. It still had to have sort of an apocalyptic framework within which to understand itself, and then just substituted, um, you know, materialism for any sort of Christian eschatology, and then started running the program. And you know, to his credit, he and Engels, I mean, they were quite brilliant in terms of um, working the the system out. But but the idea that somehow Jesus and John Wayne in particular is not ideologically informed, doesn't have to, it doesn't make it not necessarily "Quote unquote true" in a historical sense, meaning that that we all understand that histories are written through um, frameworks. Uh, you know, we have certain subsist- uh, presuppositions and and ideas that inform our whole understanding of the world. And so, the, the frustrating thing that we have just come back to time and time again is this wide-eyed, you know, "who me or, or you, know, oh, you?" You know, I'm just a little historian. I'm just a I'm just a philosopher. I'm just an academic you know just giving you the facts and you know all you you hot-headed pastors out there getting all worked up about marxism you know you just don't understand how things work they're there you know stay in your lane and it's just so Unbelievably obvious and sort of embarrassing, actually, uh, to watch um, people who should know better. You know, it's like you actually did—you actually have met your professors that you studied from, right? Like you have read and have met the people who have written these journal articles. You, you yourself have written a book and understand your own self to a certain degree to realize that perhaps you know everything that you have said, while defensible. You know, you have footnotes and you have all sorts of things. Nevertheless possibly could still be influenced by forces greater than 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 you're re- ready to admit like your upbringing or your fears or your incredible desire to silence the voice of your you know, judgmental youth minister or whatever the case may be you
2: know and I mean I would go further than that I would say because it, you know every you're right every historian everybody and not just historian every person in any field of study is going to come at that study with a certain kind of uh, context, um, you know, political context, philosophical context, culture, whatever—that's all there. But there, there, there is a philosophy of history in which you 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 try to transcend those. You I mean you, you sure. can't ever totally transcend those, but you try to transcend those and just analyze the events. So so you can come in like maybe I'm maybe I'm a Republican or a, or a conservative, but I'm analyzing the history of the Democratic Party. And, and I'm going to try and not analyze history, the history of the Democratic Party, using my Republican lens. That's right. I'm going try, that's right. Right. So, so, but no, said, that's not that. that's not the kind of work she's doing. now. she's that's actually right. doing she's she's doing a consciously ideological work. It's a little bit that's like right. you know, Marx wrote a history of the 18th de Brumaire, which is the the uh, one of the revolutions, uh, not not Napoleon's revolution, but later revolution, by Napoleon's. A few, I think, or whatever some some related, you know, Napoleon. His name is Napoleon Napoleon, too, Napoleon the Third. And uh, Marx wrote a, an analysis of the analysis of that illustrating his theory of class struggle and his theory of, of history, how it's working out in this particular system. That's the kind of history that the Jesus and John Wayne is. is. He's, she's not just analyzing events and saying, okay, what was the cause of this thing? She has an idea about what the cause is, and she's showing how that's being illustrated in, the, in these, these particular events. She has a theory, a hypothesis she's going through and showing us how, how an ideological hypothesis, and she's going through and showing us how uh, Though that hypothesis is um, or theory is being confirmed in the in each each event,
0: right? I mean, she has very little humanity for her for her subject, which is the telltale sign. Because if you can't. Yeah. You can't appreciate the fact that these were people just like you, who whom you may have significant disagreements with, but nevertheless, for all sorts of which we would think interesting historical reasons, uh, took a different path, and that's what we're e- examining here. Then you're writing something to the best we can that approximates history, you know, and then you get a bunch of people from different perspectives together who are trying to operate from that that in that mindset, and you might have something approximating the tr- the truth, you know. <laughs> I mean, that's what you hope for. Um, but I agree with you. Instead, you have, you have this book that, I mean, the idea that you could write a quote unquote academic book that would have things like whiteness or white or, or black for that matter, I mean, as categories, as, as quote unquote academic categories in, in the 21st century is, is unbelievable to me. Uh, the idea that you, I mean, th- that you could have a book that's written, it's like, it's like the, the station, you know, like, like old radio stations in the '50s. like, this is a white music station, this is a black music station, like, we have gotten past that, you thought, and yet, all of a sudden, in, in, quote, unquote, academia, it is, um, it's just, it's the the normal thing to talk about people as, as racial and ethnic groups in a, in a, quote, unquote, academic way that is, that it's shocking i mean it really is shocking to me and i i just keep coming back to the title subtitle of the book you know how white evangelicals what uh, uh co-opted a party and fractured a nation or something you know it's right. like, i mean how can you get past that title and not understand that you're not reading an academic textbook like how could that book even be sold in a college bookstore you know as anything other than the um you know in the same section that the uh mad comics would be sold in or something because it was so clearly a, cat, a caricature of of an otherwise well thought out idea i mean you know had, had the had the, tie, had the book been called something like how a group of men she could say i mean there was you know if that was the subject how a group of men uh banded together to attempt to uh wrest control of a of a theological movement in America, or something, you know, that'd be interesting, or that that could be that might be an interesting book. You know, there's a book that's going around by by a guy named Crawford Gibbons, I believe. We have it, and it's about the um, sort of the resurgence in the Northwest of kind of Christian Reconstruction, and it, it talks a lot of uh, Doug Wilson in Moscow, Idaho, and you know whether you want to call him a Reconstructionist or not. The, the point is, this book is clearly worried about the phenomenon and yet he has such an obvious understanding that these are not monsters like even if some of the things that he thinks they could do or have done or will do would be monstrous that they're actual human beings who are deserving at least the to take the, what they're purporting to do seriously then the book reads in like an entirely different account of, of the way that one could understand how you would warn someone. I mean, this guy's book is sort of warning like this, what's going on in the Northwest. And yet it's not a, it, it's clearly written, like my opinion, what the way a history should be. It's, it's here are the facts, here's what they say they're doing. And we're not going to pretend that they're not, they're not truthful when they say what they're doing. Like, for instance, all of the quote unquote evangelicals in Jesus and John Wayne, you know, by their own attestation, they were not trying to co-op a political party, take over America, uh, and then, you know, uh, further subjugate the world with foreign wars for the sake of uh, oil and gas revenue, you know, but that's what, that's in part what Dume is implicating, um, intimating them. What they said they were doing is trying to fight a cultural degradation for the sake of biblical morality and uphold God's design for the family and human sexuality and marriage, that's what they're trying to do in part, and and yet that's just dismissed as a pretense for what we actually all know. You know, the the we all, I mean, quote unquote, the academics know what they really were about was you know political power and and oil and gas revenue. It's like, well, that's not for you to decide if you are a quote unquote historian. Like, what your job right. is to do is to listen to. the people said watch what they did report on that and then perhaps at the end make some of your own qualified observations but that's not what jesus and john wayne is and that's certainly not what biblical womanhood book or whatever it is is and it's sad that that's becoming the standard for quote-unquote um historical scholarship and that's what's more depressing about any of this i mean that we have people that don't like Billy Graham and you know James Dobson. Well that's that's no
2: shock. Well yeah, it's just feeding, you know, we've talked about the the, the what they call the the just deconstructing evangelicals, the um deconversion people who are right. who are, who, are, who have grown evangelicals. up you know, ex-evangelicals, right? who've grown up in in uh and maybe too politicized uh, churches have been way too politicized in the right. Um and they've grown up hating the hating all of that. And this just kind of feeds right into that kind of resentment that's already there. Um, in fact, when Anne wrote her her critique of Jesus and John Wayne for the Council of Biblical Manhood and Womanhood... I mean- <laughs> Which
0: was a brilliant... That was like the world's greatest I, I, troll right there. That was, it was like... It was like when Donald Trump used to be on Twitter. Like, that was perfect. <laughs> Who can we get... Where can Anne Kennedy write a review of this book that will cause the most uh, consternation? Like, uh, that's what it was. I loved it.
2: Loved it. No, no comment on that part. But... But... Um, <laughs> but uh, but when she wrote it, yeah. people, people wrote to her and said, "Oh, well, this is you know, this book is describing my experience. I really, uh, this is this is the culture I grew up in. I I know this book, and and so there, no doubt. I mean, some of the things she she describes there uh, were were in the book were of course things that happened. She uses actual events. She uses actual people who did say certain things that she quotes. I mean, no one's no one's disputing that. But then she leaps from that to." characterize an entire movement to characterize an entire um to to accuse basically those who hold evangelical theology of you know holding that theology as a kind of disguise for underlying misogyny and that's right and militant masculinity so so but but it does feed into that exvangelical evangelical desire to kind of strike back at the at the people who they resent so much
1: I feel like every time we get started on Chris and Dume and Jesus and John Wayne, we could really just go and go and go. But, but it is a good way to transition into this sort of academic credentialism in general, the idea that because of the letters after someone's name, their conclusions are somehow unassailable. And I wanted to ask you guys about because it is is an idea that makes some logical sense at a first lush. You think that someone is an expert in something and you're not. Therefore, who are you to question what they've done or what they've concluded? But what are some of the problems with just straight line academic credentialism like that?
0: Well, you could... you go, Matt. Right. You're, you,
2: you're a, your PhD. I, I, well, I should I be. You to, should. to
0: be to be honest, to, to be to be clear, I have a ThD, so it was a theological uh, doctorate from the uh, University of Humboldt in Berlin. So just to be, I would if I when and if if and when it's not not when if just when I put my letters on my on my uh, on Twitter Twitter account, it will be <laughs> ThD. I know, which is well, today I have the to queen put some of German, sciences, I so. can put some German. Uh, yeah, some, there you go. You know, that'll just frighten people away. It's like shaking sticks at a dog. <laughs> (laughs) anyway um that's right but part of the problem and i've been thinking about this a lot actually um because i did work through it took me six years it did uh we were in berlin for two and a half and then vienna for three so five and a half it took and actually longer than that after when i came back and um you know the the opportunities for giving up um and kicking it in um were were we're always there. And, um, you know, to, you begin to think, what are you doing this for? What's the purpose? Um, and, you know, the, the adage about PhDs, which I think is pretty, seems to be pretty true, is that they're done in, for two reasons, you know, either hate or love with the subject. You either do something you want to you want to sort of tear down or kind of pick through or something you love so dearly. And I, and actually, in my case, the subject matter kind of morphed from something I love to hate it. And then, <laughs> and so it was an interesting, but but I think the number one problem with, with academic world today and it's, compared to the way it has been, it's not a rose colored vision of the past, but that there's an incredible disconnect between what we say, the theory and the practice is that what you can write about and what you can sort of conjecture the conjectures you can have and even the conclusions you can reach when they're not actually put into practice and when they're not tested and when they're not, as it were, tried. Well, then you, you have this divide between kind of the idea of what you think is true, good, and real and the reality that people actually inhabit and the divide grows. I mean, Phil Johnson is a perfect example of this in his book, Intellectuals, You know, where he goes through the actual lived lives of some of the great past couple of centuries of, of people like Rousseau and Locke and um well, Rousseau in particular, I think about, because he talks about how, you know, Rousseau had all these ideas about the freedom of the human will and uh, the perfectibility of human nature and all these things, you know, Rousseau and his noble savage and things, but in his private life, you know, he was an absolutely terrible human being, you know, he was cheats on his wife, he doesn't take care of his children, he he has this sort of incredible breakdown in his, in his lived life, despite whatever you think about his intellectual one, and I think that particularly when it comes to theology, uh, but but you could argue, perhaps even other kind of social sciences or, or kind of our, our philosophy, sort of soft sciences, that there's this this disconnect between practitioners and theorists that has that has allowed for this kind of mythologizing of the of the doctor. Um, you know, it's like you can sit on high far away. And if you are living in the middle of a world where you, you don't like it, and you have this kind of aspirational idea that perhaps if you had a PhD or maybe the people who have PhDs have something more to say about your uh, current drudgery, well, then you begin to kind of elevate them to higher and higher degrees. And I see this, I saw this in my own life um, and I saw it come crashing down in my own life when you realize that once you have a degree, that you you have just begun to realize how little you know. I mean, it sounds cliche, but it's it's true. You know, I mean, you have you have now entered into the expertise of one book on the infinite, you know, shelf of human knowledge, and, you know, it it never grows smaller or larger, and that's a very humbling place to be, and, you know, and that, which then turned me back into, say, you have some, you have this theological expertise about this one relatively um, narrow-banded subject, well, what is that actually doing with your life on the ground as a husband, or a father, or a pastor, or a priest, or how is this preaching at this funeral that you have to do, and these are, these are questions that I think when, particularly in theology, you're not confronted. Confronted with, then the not just the temptation, but the reality of this divide between between the usefulness of your ideas and their actual sort of fruitfulness in practice um, continues to grow. And I think that's what we're watching. We're watching that you know the greatest theologians in the church for almost you know, its entire history have been deeply religious, thoughtful, um, practicing ministers of one shape or another, you know, uh, people who, who knew the Psalter, people who did the day morning office, people who were monks or who were, who were priests or who, and it's a relatively recent where we have this sort of professionalization of the intellectual class in the church. And I think it's over. I think what we're watching is the, the destruction of that, because if this is what it produces, you People who have so little care and concern for uh, where people actually live and how they could actually um, sort of navigate their lives um, with these with these beliefs that have been uh, you know like the Vincentian canon that have been believed by everyone always and, and at all times. If this is what a Christian academia leads to, well then it's not Christian and it's not academic. And I think that's what we're watching the the the, the revelation of that uh, today. And so, yeah, I mean it's like. I don't even want to recommend people getting PhDs in uh, theology anymore. It's like, go back and double down on your Greek and Hebrew, do the daily office and take care of your family and preach the gospel to, to sinners, you know, and, and see who at the end of the day, you may not have as many Twitter followers, but you're certainly going to have more of an impact for the kingdom than speaking on the deconstruction tour. The the I used to go to acquire the fire, you know, tour, <laughs> you know, that's what, that's what the deconstruction tour is like. Anyone that wore a Jesus bracelet, do you think that sucks too? It's like, well, it wasn't all bad. Um, and um, we're, we're going to, anyway, that, that, that's my 17 cents on it. But <laughs> what do you think, Matt? I mean,
2: Well, no, I mean, I, well. I love what Neil Shenvi said. You know, um, why silence <laughs> chemist? That's right. <laughs> yeah, it's a, why are PhDs, you know, uh, commenting about how pastors should do their jobs? Do they have MDs? So, so, I mean, this cut, cuts both ways. I mean, if if that's if we're going to be a society or a, a, a group of people who deal with one another based on our credentials, and no, but nobody can tell me me how I'm doing my job unless that person also has an MD. So, if my parishioner comes in and says, "Hey," I didn't like the way you preach that sermon. I can say, "Hey, do you have an MDiv?" That's right. <laughs> you know, you go. I'm sure <laughs> people if do anyone, that. right, right, right. Like I mean, some people do do that, and that's really <laughs> horrible, right? Um, but, <laughs> but, uh, but in reality, I mean, I am. Right, every pastor is responsible to know what people are reading, to know what the what's going on in the culture, what what their people might be reading, and you know, Jesus and John Wayne is one of those books that. It would be very easy for any of our parishioners to just go to a bookstore and say, oh, this kind of looks interesting, pick it up off the shelf, start reading it. So uh, if it's required that, that we have PhDs or THDs, whatever, um, before we can analyze these things, then we can't do our jobs. You know, it, it that, that, that's one level of it is it, being a pastor requires being able to comment on a wide range of, of things maybe not as an expert but we have we have to be able to study enough to, to, to speak about it in a in a in a reasonable way but second of all like and and Ann was talking about this on our podcast yesterday she was saying that when uh, she 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 took comparative literature which which in her day was was the beginning of this kind of
0: yeah Judith Butler and all these people.
2: Yeah, 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 yeah. so so and she said that there was an academic writing that began to be in vogue at that time, which was which was which prided itself on being unreadable. You tried to make it so that the average person picking up a book or picking up an article would not would have no idea what you're talking about. only the only those in the uh, only those in the academy or in, in that particular in that only in that particular, vein of the academy um, would be able to understand it so so that what is that what is that that is a, a way of thinking about the about the task of the academic which i think is a divorce from what traditionally has been the role of the academic in society which is to help people learn to, to communicate things that they've studied and, and to uh, help people think <laughs> not to, not to elevate themselves into this kind of cl- class that speaks his own language and that no one can break into, or no one can even understand. I mean, want think about the, think about the, 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 intellectuals that have, have had the most effect on, um, on maybe the, let's just take Christianity. C.S. Lewis, he was, he was brilliant at taking complex Ideas um, and and making and expressing them in ways that a, that someone who doesn't have a college degree can pick up a book like *Mere Christianity* and understand what what he's saying. R.C. Sproul is another guy who, who did that really well. Um, who who who's had a Ph.D. or a PhD, I'm not sure exactly what it was. Um, brilliant guy, but he spent his life communicating theology to lay people. Um, and uh, and I don't think I, I I doubt you would ever ever hear. <laughs> I know you would never hear someone like R.C. Sproul, he's gone now, but uh, I I can't imagine you would ever hear someone like R.C. Sproul say, well, you can't speak to this because you don't have a Ph.D., well, It's just because well, it, their whole lives are devoted to communication and teaching
0: yeah and because and that's a perfect example is because the, the the christian academics as far as i the christian academic world is not entirely but it's largely populated by people who are being used to offer absolution outside of the gospel to their readers what i mean by that is that you are you're the absolution of either further complicating the text so the things that i that are not clear in the I can I can sort of punt to these academics and say, well, you know, people are divided on what what actually constitutes you know the sort of biblical design for human sexuality you know there's there's sorts of we're not really sure what that means and so look at these academics who can't agree and so therefore my confusion can be perpetuated you know uh, academics are confused about well i mean i think the scripture itself i mean if we look at like the higher critical school that came in and it's just sort of filtered its way down all that has done is undermine people's confidence in the authority of scripture and pastors quote unquote in the church have taken that up to to then further sow confusion amongst the church and their congregants, and essentially, Um, uh, cloud the clear meaning of scripture on all sorts of issues and that's been the function of what of Christian quote-unquote higher education is for a century if not longer and so you have for instance the the statement that when you go to seminary you know like you begin to you know have your sort of confidence in the the inerrancy and infallibility of scripture undermined you know go to any mainline quote-unquote seminary you know around the world and start talking about the various um, uh, authors of Genesis the various datings of the books, you know, whether Paul wrote this, that, or the other, and all that serves to do is undermine the confident proclamation by the church of calling sinners to repentance, because if Paul is confusing or contradictory, or perhaps Ephesians was this, or Titus was that, or, you know, we don't even really know if Moses was a person, all these things are parts of a whole, which is to undermine the actual confidence that the church has to speak to the world, the message of the cross. And so if you are, have a quote unquote PhD and you're a Christian and you are not fundamentally using that in service of calling people to repentance, well, then you're not actually, you're not doing any of the work of the church and we don't need to listen to you. I mean, we don't like as pastors, we need to, you know, Jesus and John Wayne, I mean, I guess to a certain or they're calling that,
2: us to and, repentance for misogyny and yeah. uh, and
0: my, you know, so I us not even get back into Jesus and John. Wait, it's not <laughs> worth it, but but I'm talking about like. The, the actual accolades that people are looking for in a um, sort of a worldly sense with respect to academic credentials is that if you are a, a quote-unquote Christian theologian and you are not utilizing your, your academic credentials to further um, encourage, equip, strengthen, and guide people into their confidence in the proclamation of the crucified and risen Lord, well, then you need to... Um, well, I don't know if you, what you need to do, but we certainly don't need to consider your opinion very highly, more highly than the the plowboy who reads the Bible, you know, back to Tyndale.
1: Perhaps this is a simplistic question. Is part of this simply because a new crop of PhD theses are needed every year and that isaiah wrote isaiah has already been written and so we need to say maybe isaiah didn't write isaiah or maybe moses didn't write the pentateuch or maybe jesus got married like we just need more topics is it that simple or is there something sort of in the water that that's causing a drift from traditional orthodoxy
0: well i think there certainly is something to the degree inflation idea i think that there's a um, you know the fact that you can you have to apologize for only going to college if you want to have an academic discussion or something like this. You know is is a relatively new idea because it it's well it's relatively new and there is a lot of money. And I mean, like for instance, in the at least the German PhD system, uh, you can't get your degree until you actually have been published. And so, even though I was I was awarded the degree, uh, they basically held it under. I, I have this vision of it being like under a giant um, safe, you know, the heart <laughs> down somewhere in the in the,
2: in the sewers of
0: Berlin. That's Sharks right. Sharks with it, lasers. They on will their not. Heads. They will not allow it. They will not allow it into your site. until you have you have sent. You have to send a, um, a published copy. Of of your, of your book to the various libraries so that then, um, but what's interesting about that is it's actually, a. I don't think it's a racket, but there's certainly some money in it because you walk out of the, metaphorically you walk out of the, the degree where you just defended your, your oral defense and, um, you know, there's like booths set up from the lease, you know, basically pay your own way all the way to, you know, we'll give you a, a, a koozie or whatever, you know, and everything in between. And um, and you shop your book around because you have to, you have to get it published. And so there's a, you know, there's a publishing industry and there's libraries and there's academic publishing. And again, I don't think it's, I'm not cynical about it, but my you know, my book came in at a very cheap, you know, $85 or something when it first came out. And there were a lot of people other than libraries and like my parents that were going to buy that. Um, and, um, and there's so there is an industry behind it. But I also think particularly when we're talking about American evangelical or American Christians, for that matter, there is a right or wrong sort of academic you know, inferiority. Uh, that has existed, I think in part rightly so, particularly in like the Episcopal church, because people have been, have been trading on, they're like drunken trust fund grandkids, you know, it's like my, my grandfather um, got up at four and worked till uh, midnight every day of his life and built this empire, and I have not gotten out of bed until um, two every afternoon, and I'm just living off of his, his largesse, but I think that there is such a, a academic inferiority that the, the letters really do confer a sense of sort of mystical hierarchy that is, is, is hard to explain other than to just observe, you know? And, and I've seen this in a variety of contexts, you know, people who, who grow up in kind of quaint uh, sincere evangelical families or churches who go to college and you know have a certain academic aptitude and then end up um, you know have to get a PhD somewhere you know and usually it turns out they could, you know get it somewhere in Europe uh, because you know either particularly in the in the UK system you you know Americans have to pay which is very lucrative you know for for them because the the people on the ground like in Germany I didn't have to pay at all uh, which is the only reason one of the main reasons I stayed other than having to learn German. Uh, that was the only cost. Um, but, you know, there's this desire and I'm not saying it's all misguided because there's something beautiful about wanting to, um, to have the freedom and the ability to pursue your, your sort of the intellectual life of the mind. But I do think that there's an idolatry to it. Um, there's a, a sense of um, uh, sort of entitlement that if not gone checked, if allowed to go unchecked, can blossom into um, a real blindness to your own uh, feet of clay. And that's what we see all the place. You know, the fact that people that people talk about themselves as having doctorates as they begin to say something. I mean, that's just an incredible amount of hubris and um, blindness that is. it's really hard to believe that they're not they're not being ironic, you know, or having a laugh, like Ricky Gervais would say, but they're not. They're actually saying something. They're like, well, I have a PhD in this, so therefore sit down and listen to what I have to say. It's like, well, you know, um, I've met other people with PhDs, and um, I'm just going to stand up here and and see see how this goes before I, um, you know, bow before you, you know, your highness. And and I think, um, again, that's someone who I spent a long time doing this. I mean, I, have, I hope people consider what I have to say, perhaps a little longer than they otherwise would. But I don't expect them to just, without question, uh, take what I say is the gospel truth. And certainly, uh, if it ever came in contradictory to the scripture, tradition, and reason of the church, then I would I would expect to be uh, to be vigorously contended with, if not outright objected to. And that's that's I think. That's what should happen, and that's what we're doing. That's simply what we're doing. And so, you, your fundamentalist pastor Matt, um, have the audacity to defend your sheep against the encroachment of cynical wolves. I don't know, yeah. you know, how dare you?
2: I, I think there's a, I think there's a real connection between this kind of credentialism and heterodoxy, right? because it, 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 credentialism is essentially a form of bullying, right? You you don't have the knowledge I do, so you don't have any reason to you, you have Gnosticism no
0: agnosticism too, yeah.
2: So, like, this is this is what in the Episcopal Church. uh, Well, yes, we're teaching something new. We're teaching that um, that men can marry men and women can marry women. But, um, but um, not only has the Holy Spirit led us to this conclusion, but look at the look at the initials behind my name, and look at oh, look at the the hat that I'm wearing too. So, um, so who are you to? How do you know? You're just a lowly priest. You're just a lowly layperson. Who are you to question our? our authority you don't have any idea and this is the the i know you don't want have do you Jesus ever even
0: been to new york i mean <laughs> <really>. <laughs> exactly. do you even exactly. know what a subway is exactly
2: so it's so it's no surprise to see that this kind of talk cropping up around wokeism and crt and ct and all this stuff because um because it's heterodox and people recognize it people recognize it smells like right. death there's
1: no other <laughs> and, and, claim that might stick this is why it's an actual logical fallacy you can't. Yeah, you
2: should be able to defend your claim on its merits, right? Exactly, exactly. But but then, but if you can make someone feel stupid and make and, and not only that, making not it's not just making someone feel stupid, it's making people who are on the on the out on the sidelines feel like they want to be smart, right? And so and and right. we wouldn't be smart by agreeing with the PhDs right. and piling on the idiots and and that, that that there's a there's a lot of there's a lot of psychological and emotional reward and that's and right. siding with people who are putting themselves up in these kind of pedestals
0: yeah and that's why that's why in Anglicanism we can shortcut it because you can just dress up your brain uh with the <laughs> with the with the sort of vestments as opposed to actually having which is why you know and that's why <clears throat> Presbyterians and Baptists are fighting about this more um overtly because they don't um they don't get the the luxury of just pretending to be smart by what they're wearing um but but we Anglicans can at at least we have a long history of that right but no I agree with you entirely Matt I think part of the appeal is like I was saying before is that people are having itching ears and you know if you need this to be true you know I need I need Paul to I need you to write me a PhD that explains to me why I don't have to hear um, repent you lest you therefore perish you know <laughs> just write me somebody whoever I've got a tons of money behind that and I will put you up and you can write it you know write me um, uh, you know PhD about why I don't have to to be afraid of uh, eternal judgment. You know, write me a PhD that somehow will say God hasn't spoken, and it will be funded, it will be celebrated, it will be published, and that's what we're watching across the board. And it's nothing new. You know, it's nothing new. It's just that it's finally worked its way down to um, you know the Crossway bookstore equivalent, because uh, it's always been the case in the halls of uh, higher academia. It's just now filtering itself down to. You you know, a a quaint little church near you. And that's why you've got, you know, quote unquote, normal old pastors starting to talk about these things, because it's finally, you know, they haven't really cared about what's been going on in the general theological union halls, you know, or um, union, quote unquote, seminaries, uh, repenting to the plants, you know, um, or whatever the case is they haven't cared about. I mean, one of the people that was in my examining committee, in Berlin, it was a uh, professor who reportedly—I think I've said this before—he doesn't believe in a transcendent personal God, and he's an ordained minister. And I will just stop; I don't want to out I mean, I'm sure he's listening to this. But um, <laughs> you know, but he's a, a. But you know, this was the type of world that we were inhabiting. You know, we did a colloquium with a practical theology seminar. Uh, we were doing systematics, the, and and three fourths of the PhDs had absolutely nothing to do with um, what we'd say Christian theology in any conceivable way. And yet all of these people were getting theological doctorates and most were going to work in an ordained positions within the church in Europe. And you say, well, I wonder why that church is, is, is dying here. <laughs> like, well, it's because it's being run by unbelievers. And what we're watching is the, the final gasp of the hope that perhaps your mind could save you from, um, from the, the call of the cross. And and it's being uh, seen through, and thankfully, pastors of all academic um, abilities are are calling it out. And again, part of the great reshuffling we're seeing is that I would imagine that people are are being encouraged to go to do less doctoral studies than they once were um, in terms of you know actual believing in people and double down, like I said before, on the on what has been tried and true faithfulness to the scriptures uh daily prayer and practice and and courageous witness um, in the midst of the culture and you don't have to have a phd to do that uh you don't have to have an MDiv to do that i mean you don't have to go to college to do that Uh, but you have to be a believer and you have to be um confident and in in the gospel and afraid of the right things and if you're afraid of God, uh, rightly, the fear of the Lord, then you're not a fool. But if you're afraid of man and the possibility of being canceled or mocked or dragged on Twitter because you're a certain quote-unquote fundamentalist, well, then you're afraid of the entirely wrong thing.
1: That actually leads me to the last thing I wanted to ask you guys as we sort of get toward the end of our time here. And you may have just uh, spoiled the ending, J.D., with that um, very clear statement thank you for that but i wanted to ask you guys about the pastor's lane if if a pastor is to stay in his lane we are all three local pastors you jd with a phd matt and i without one but what is what is the local pastor called to do on twitter we're hearing this isn't what you're called to do stick to what you need to do and I think we've all said, actually, what we're called to do is a little broader than the Twitterati might
2: think. What is it that a local pastor is called to do? We're supposed to be able, according to Titus, Titus 1, we're supposed to be able to refute That's right. um, false doctrine and and, to, and and any kind of error that might creep its way into the church and so that means we have to know what the errors are um, and, hold, and hold
0: the mystery of the faith without in good conscience, in good conscience without conscience. compromise which means you you might have to believe things that are contrary to the prevailing wisdom of the world you know and and endure the scorn and mockery therein like the like the idea that god exists you know i mean you know you fundamentalists. sorry i didn't mean yeah. exactly
2: <laughs> that. no no i mean that 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 requires that we do more we 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 our primary study is of the scriptures of course um, and without that study, we won't be able to discern what exactly error is, and where, and uh, and refute anything. But That's right. um, but we but on top of that, we need to know what what's going on around us. What 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 currents are are, are sweeping across um, the church? What winds are blowing? And we need need to know how to how to, defu- to and rebuke and refute them. And and the, uh, we've talked many times about how how pervasive kind of woke thought is. So I would say it's a dereliction of duty for a pastor not to know what it is, Amen. not to speak about it. I don't care how big your church is. You probably have someone who's being influenced by it. I mean, you you, you certainly do. So you need to know what it is. You need to know what the problems are with it and be able to articulate that to people. Maybe not, uh, I don't think, I, with any error, I don't think you should have, okay, we're going to have a five-part sermon series on, um, on why gay sex is bad. Like that, that would just be... <laughs> That would be overkill and you want to focus on the gospel when you're preaching but like for christian education for times of counseling with people you need to know and also it's not bad it's really good and this is where i think likely this would disagree with me it's really good for pastors to be in social media be on social media and engaging with these things and with these people it sharpens you because you. I, mean, I, know, I know social media is like I know it's the lowest common denominator for 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 when it comes to civility, but when it comes to oh hey, I hadn't thought about this idea before. There's there's so many th- things pop up on social media before they do in other places. So you'll be able to. see. It's kind of like a periscope. You'll see uh, see the enemy coming from further away than, than you might if you're not on social media. So you should be on there. If you're not posting, fine. But you should be on there and and looking and seeing what's what's being said. Um, and be able to have an idea of how you might refute it or how you might engage with it if it's uh, not something you refute, um, if one of your people comes down with it or, come, or comes to you with it. Comes down with it. That's right. <laughs> That's right.
0: The woke vid. That's right. That's right. Uh, <laughs> well, I agree with you entirely, Matt. And, you know, this is a very personal issue for me because I. Um, I definitely suffered, and I think still residually so, from this idea that perhaps a PhD or a doctorate would save me. Uh, I mean, I wouldn't, would have said it that expressly, but, you know, I, I've said before that, you know, I thought maybe going to the church of England and all of its beauty and history would kind of, um, you know, be a ballast or, a, or an anchor. And then you kind of run into that and you realize that the Rev TV show um, or the Vicar of Dibley has more, uh, and has more to say about the church of England than, than you'd like to think. Um, and then I thought maybe this, this, this doctorate would you know I would emerge from that kind of confident and strong in myself in a way that I wasn't before. And in fact, it was it was more destabilizing because it was like the, you know the ephod, or it was like the um, you know Saul's armor, or something like it was. It was misplaced trust and hope. And you know, I've spent a lot of time kind of rebuilding um, trust in the the basics um, in a way that uh, that I think maybe for me, obviously, the only way I could have was to have to have gone through kind of the upper atmosphere uh, to realize that that sustenance and hope and life was really much closer to the the basics of the of Christian discipleship and ministry than than i ever thought before you know and i think that that's why i think the pastor of the future um (laughs) you know is going to be uh i mean is even though we need to be on social media i agree you've dragged us both onto it but um but but basically local you know i mean it's going to be where's your actual sphere of influence of people who are living and breathing and who's you know, who, if you just didn't chime, chime into their timeline, their lives would actually be affected by your absence and concentrate on that, you know, what Jesus calls your neighbor. And for some of us, our neighborhoods are much larger than others, but for pastors, the neighborhood is at the very least the size of your local congregation. You've been given the opportunity and the privilege of serving and our work in that neighborhood uh, does not require a PhD. Does not, but it requires engagement uh, with your heart, mind, soul, and strength and awareness. Fairness and faithfulness. And I think that, you know, give me someone who has memorized their Bible back and forth and can pick Psalms out of a hat by just hearing sort of refrains over someone who has a, a next best Theory of something that's most recently published, more Zbekeck volume, um, any day of the week, uh, to, to shepherd and counsel me and my soul, and then for taking care of those that I've been given responsibility for. And so maybe those people have PhDs, maybe not, but it certainly isn't by default people that do have something more to say than people that don't. You know, when it comes to LGBTQ stuff, when it comes to the authority of scripture, when it comes to um eschatology, when it comes to heaven and hell, like these are not debatable concepts, really. Um, There are nuances within them, of course, and that's what we'll continue to talk about. But there are ways that Christians talk about these things and the ways that non-Christians do. And there's not going to be a lot of middle ground between the two. And I think that's what we're starting to see in this great sorting out, is that our disagreement about Human sexuality is, for instance, which is the presenting issue in, behind all, a lot of these discussions, the ex-evangelicals, the deconstruction, uh, all of this um, you know, discussion, is not whether or not we have our pastors, we deal with people humanly, we have sense of redemption, like all of the pastoral realities is one side of it. But the, but fundamentally, there's going to be a disagreement about whether this can be called good, whether we can say what is is explicitly prohibited can be blessed, and so on and down the Line. And so, what we're seeing in the academic discourse is that there's an attempt to sort of keep the quote unquote conversation going by appealing to the experts as if there was some nuance left undiscovered that can only be explained to us by the great, you know, PhD of the world. And it's like, well, at the end of the day, we appreciate your insights, but there's going to be a point where conversation will stop and defensive. Disagreement will simply have to commence, and where I feel the church is—at least the one that I'm involved in—is that we have, we understand what you're saying, we we hear your concerns, we are aware of our own failings in the past with regards to some of these things, and yet we are not going to give up the conviction or the proclamation about what we believe is, in fact, God's good word for the world, whether that has to do with heaven and hell or um, repentance and forgiveness or human identity or whatever the case may be. And you will continue to try to paint that as a fundamentalist position, as a ignorant position. You'll continue to try to somehow question my qualifications, whatever the case may be. But fundamentally, we will actually just disagree and that's where I find myself like even in, even in academic reading at this point, it's like, I don't, I can't read another book about how Paul may have not been as clear as he was on these things, or another book about how, you know, perhaps God's, you know, like foreknowledge, you know, the whole middle molism thing, or like, you know, like another book about open theism, another book about maybe, maybe it's not as life or death as it really is. It's like, well, maybe it is. In fact, I'm, I'm going to preach that it is and live like it is. And at some point, not concern myself with those who are disagreeing with me um, in ways that have already been addressed, answered, and and responded to. And I think that's what we're looking at in the broader "quote unquote" Christian theological world: is that at a certain point, there's only so many ways you can you can write a book that says God may not have said. And we're getting to the end of that. And eventually it's like, well, I'm just going to go back to the point where I disagree with you at the very beginning, you know, it's like right before you started that, that long discursus about what he may not have said and just stop right there. And we're going to agree to disagree. And you're going to do your, whatever quote unquote church looks like, and we're going to build our church and we're going to um, both stand before God one day. And I'm going to, um, stick with, with, um, what has been believed, you know, at all times, everywhere and by all people and, um, and, and trust that that's sufficient.
1: You have the words of life. Where else can we go? that is all the time that we have this week uh, if you want to keep the conversation going with us we hope you'll be in touch you can rate and review the podcast on iTunes or send us an email at mailbag at standfirminfaith.com or you can even join the Anglicans for the Gospel Facebook group we are as always grateful that you took the time to join us today uh, thanks to Matt Kennedy and to J.D. Koch I'm Nick Lannon, and we'll be back next week until then by the grace of God and Jesus Christ we'll be standing firm